Hey, Deviants. Hope you're ready for the exciting part two conclusion of today's episode of Dark and Devious. Yes, hey there, Deviants. Welcome back uh, for part two of the Burger Chef Murders. Um, this is my first part two ever following in the footsteps of Chris. But, <laughs> you know, Chris, I think that I'm going to continue to do two-parters because, one, it's a lot easier. Um, and two, I feel like we have the opportunity to maybe, like, discuss the episode a little bit more like that case a little oh, bit yeah, more because we don't feel yeah. so time constrained to like pack everything into two hours and um also just for my husband who's listening i know you like short episodes so you are welcome <laughs> i mean episodes are great to listen to while you're on a drive or while you're doing stuff around the house and sometimes you finish the task before the episode is over and we'd hate for you to miss out on anything exactly yes exactly which speaking of that i was like listening to park predators while i was cleaning the kitchen this morning <laughs> and i almost like i almost like kept cleaning i kept like finding little things because like i was listening to the episode and i was thoroughly enjoying it and i was like oh there's a little more stuff here a little more stuff there what else can i do so i can pack in the last 10 minutes of this episode See, um, what I end up doing when I still have time in an episode and I finish what I wanted to do is usually I will just sit down and I will just stare into space as I listen to the the end of the episode. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I'm the opposite way where I just, instead of finding more things to do, I will just stop doing things altogether because I go <laughs> into what they we're talking, what they're talking about on the podcast. Yeah, for me, when I sit still, that's when my mind wanders. That's when I don't <laughs> focus. I need to be doing something to focus. Um, but thinking, speaking of doing things, you did a lot this past week. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I, I finally did my big trip to D.C. with my partner. And I was so happy to see a, a good chunk of friends while I was out there. Uh, that was definitely part of my motivation. So uh, if you guys are listening, I'm, I had a great time. I miss you. I'm, I made a bunch of new friends. I feel like that happens every time I go to DC. Before you know it, I'll know every gay in the city. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty gay city. So. <laughs> it better... is. Oh, I went to this, I, I went to this wonderful uh, bar that one of my co-worker or my co-workers one of my friends out there had suggested because it was like oh it's been a few years since you've been here there are all these new gay bars <laughs> and one of them that they mentioned was called little gay pub which is just a very cute little neighborhood kind of gay bar and i met up with a couple friends there and nice had a great apparent and so apparently they their uh their bathroom has an instagram page <laughs> of 
<laughs> I mean, because it's got like, you know, it's got a nice mirror, like with gold frame. It's just a good like we all know that one of the things you're going to do when you go to the bathroom there is probably take a selfie, like check yourself so that you can post to the um, the the Instagram page, I guess, for the little gay pub bathroom. That was that was I thought was amusing. And I did take a selfie. I don't have an Instagram, so I'm not gonna post to their Instagram, but I did take a selfie in there. <laughs> um but uh, uh the main reason I went this time at the like at this particular last weekend was to go to the National Book Festival, which is put on by the Library of Congress and it is held at the convention center there in Washington, D.C., which is gorgeous. It's huge. Um, I had such a great time. I met so many great authors. And I wanted to specifically shout out some wonderful people that I met while I was waiting in line for a book signing. And that is uh, Judy and Nichelle from Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, we be, we realized that we were like book soulmates and we got to talking about uh, the, the podcast at some point as one does. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll like listen to your podcast. Uh, I guess I think Judy said that she was uh, she enjoyed listening to podcasts while driving. So, Judy, I really hope you're listening because I did tell her specifically, be like, well, I'll, I'll mention you guys in the next episode. We'd like to shout out our our new friends and coworkers and like people who listen that, that are that um, get to talk to. And um, so, yes, Judy and Nichelle, you're our newest deviants. So I hope yes. you're listening. Yes. Welcome, Judy and Michelle. Um, I also have a shout out this week too, um, to the Dean of Austin Community College. Um, she and I were chatting at a work happy hour and somehow murder got brought up as it usually does with me. And, um, I can't imagine a conversation with you that doesn't lead to murder (laughs) at some point. Well, other than when we talk about the weather, right? (laughs) <laughs> but then we always end up circling back to murder that's true that's true um but anyways uh roxanne welcome i'm glad you're here um and yeah let me know in office because you're literally right down the hall for me let me know when and if you hear this so welcome speaking of murder really fast um i almost got a shirt no it was not a shirt i almost got a sign to hang in my office but i I thought maybe it might be a little inappropriate, but it was <laughs> it was a general poster and it had two crows on it. And underneath the two crows, it said attempted murder because oh, a group of crows clever. called a murder and it was almost a murder. I was like, oh, that's clever. Um, I, I hope you did you get it just for your home? No, I have too much shit in my house. Um, oh please! As I see, like behind you, there is like a single picture of you and your husband on the wall, and then it's just blank. <laughs> There's plenty of room right there. There is, but you know me, I I get stressed with clutter. That's true. I mean, I'm a maximalist. You're a minimalist. Mm-hmm. Opposites attract in this case. Yes, very much so. Uh, but yeah. Anyways, your trip to DC sounds really fun, and I got to see some photos that looked like fun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm I'm glad you finally went. You've been talking about it for years. Right. I know. I I, I really should have made an effort to go one year prior because like as things started to kind of slowly get back to normal i think they did have the book festival in person last year but Mm. i just i didn't get my act together but that made this year all the more special and i got to oh and like the the big headliner that i really wanted to see in person that the actor elliot page did a Mm -hmm. talk Yes. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't do like a one and like a signing line, but that line would have been just so ridiculous. But I did still get an autographed copy of his book, Page Boy, which I had already listened to on audiobook, and it's really, really good. Yeah, my husband just started reading it. Um, it's so good. I really want to read. I'm blanking on the author. You'll know it right away. Um, but it's the book. Um, I'm glad my mom died. Oh yeah, Jeanette McCurdy. Yes. I Once I finish Butcher and the Wren, which I'm slowly chipping away at, um, <laughs> I want to start that one. Um, I've heard nothing but great things, and I also heard that like it's gonna destroy me. Um, just like similar themes in my life that are in that book, so I am prepared to be depressed, but I am looking forward to it. You know, it's funny because I was actually like while I was waiting in line with Judy and Nichelle. Um, and Judy was saying that uh, she had read that book recently because we were talking about books that we had read lately and she had said how good it was and then like how strongly she felt about about the uh, the mother that they're talking about in that book uh, but she made me really want to like bump that up my my to read list because it sounds yeah like you said kind of devastating in a way but also really good and it sounds like she's she has a really good sense of humor about like a kind of a dark sense of humor which we know both of us are all for that (laughs) right um yeah i just really enjoy books like that um where it's like very raw about very personal things um like i I listened to Stay Sexy, Don't Get Murdered by Georgia and Karen. I listened to Tan France's autobiography, also Jonathan Van Ness's, and they're like all very personal and full of like inspiring stories through pretty severe trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I just have a thing for that, I guess. One of the first things I always told my husband when we met is that like, I'm a sucker for like a beautiful disaster. Um, You know, like my case that I talked or my episode rather when I talked about Meryl Monroe's life, like her life saddens me, but I'm also fascinated by it. Right. It's those those lives you can't look away from. Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, and it's funny because in the room where I'm recording today is the room where I've got kind of all of my memoir biographies so it's a lot of like it's it's there's a lot of like celebrity and like um high profile people but then there's also just like everyday kind of people stories too 
And uh, on the table across from me is one I think you would like called Miss Memory Lane. And that's by Colton Haynes. Oh, I know Colton. Yeah, I think that's the kind of book that you would really like. I'll check it out. I'll yeah. add it to my list. Um, okay, so two more things I want to talk about from my trip. Uh, one... I got to visit the one of the most like ultimate true crime destinations. Lizzie Borden House. What? No, that's Maryland. No, not even close. That's Massachusetts. It's an M. It starts with an <laughs> M. Okay. <laughs> you had like a one in six chance. Of I sure did, it. and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the ultimate true crime locations that I, I've been wanting to go to for years is ford's theater oh yeah yeah where Mm -hmm. the the abraham lincoln assassination happened uh and that was just like oh that was amazing it's so weird because the theater is still in use today yeah i remember um we went to it as well when mm -hmm. we were out there and i was surprised i figured it was would be like a museum like Mm -hmm. no idea that it was still in use um, but it was, and you can get really close and it's just, it's kind of almost eerie to think that you can walk in the, like the same footsteps as John Wilkes Booth and yeah, you can't like, and they, the way that they have the, the box kind of closed off, like you can kind of lean into it. They've got like a rounded window so you can kind of like dip into this space but like you won't like you can't touch any of the like the furniture or anything of course uh but it's it's very cool and also they have the gun that killed lincoln on display and it is amazing how small it is like it's like when i think about like how wide my hand like how long my hand is from like the tip of my middle finger to like the base of my palm like it's barely that big it's so little and it's just very strange that you just like you're walking through the museum in the basement and it's like it's just there well i mean yeah i mean that was probably picked because it was so small it was easy to conceal to bring in Yeah. yeah um but still just a really cool surreal um you know i've always been a presidential history kind of lover since I was a kid. So getting to see that, like finally checked off my bucket list of places that I wanted to see. That was really cool. Uh, and then on the lighter side of things, I, when I was there, my friend had a little movie screening of a different movie that I think everybody is talking about right now. And that's red, white and Royal blue. Oh, we watched that. That was a good one. I really loved it. It was super fun, especially to watch with a group of people. That was very enjoyable. Yeah, no, that was a the super good movie. Um, good message. Uh, similarly, we also just finished the newest season of Heartstopper. Oh, uh, yeah. I've, a... I've been meaning to watch that because I've read some of the, the graphic novel. Such a good show. Oh yeah! Not say enough good things about it. So much representation too. It's amazing. Nice. So we've got some good queer, LGBTQ, uh, like fun media stuff going out there. 
Yeah, we really do. And I actually been adding things to my watch list. So I'm going <laughs> to keep on coming. It's Pride Month every month. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, awesome. Very cool. Um, similar to you, uh, in Dallas, I've been to the location a few times, uh, the Grassy Knoll, where JFK Ooh. was assassinated. Yep. Um, and I always, one, I still wear my little tinfoil hat i truly believe that there is more to that than what we know i will not say it on air because i am not going to jail um (laughs) but yes i definitely have some theories on that but um i always found it very coincidental that lincoln was killed in a theater and his assassin was caught in a factory whereas jfk's assassin shot him from a factory and was caught in a theater um i just always thought that little coincidence was neat in a no that there there was uh oh there was this one thing on it was actually in the gift shop at ford's theater where it was uh it was like a poster and it was the the weird coincidences between the kennedy and the lincoln assassination were like they both had vice presidents whose names started with J and uh, or like uh, Kennedy was killed in a like driving in a Lincoln. Mm, that, like there are all yeah. these other weird things. And it was just like, oh, this is getting into, I don't know, like some very strange territory. But yes yes it, also i'm it like does. i can't explain it i don't know why all of these weird things match up yeah you know why it's because we're in a simulation <laughs> that's like the little like wink and the nod that we're in a simulation mm-hmm. yep if we, are... if we are in a simulation could i at least get like a like a pay raise like <laughs> like would it be so hard to change one line of code to make me a millionaire (laughs) exactly exactly all right well anything else we want to talk about before we jump into the episode i think uh we are pretty well caught up let's let's talk some uh more true crime i'm very interested to hear this kind of conclusion and discuss some possible uh theories Okay, Chris. So last week, um, I introduced, well, I didn't introduce you. I told you the story of the 1978 Burger Chef murders in Speedway, Indiana. Um, And I just want to give a little recap for anyone that maybe they missed that episode and they're jumping in this week um, or people forgot. Um, So the Burger Chef murders in Speedway, Indiana was the, it's an unsolved case and it involved the murder of four teenagers, um, well, three teenagers, one 20 year old, very young people working the night shift at a Burger Chef. Uh, Burger Chef was a chain that got bought up by Hardee's. It's no longer in existence. However, at the time it was a super popular restaurant. Um, So the four teenage three teenagers one 20 year old um there was jane fright who was 20 and was the assistant manager on duty 
and her uh, co-workers were 17-year-old Ruth Shelton and then Daniel Davis and Mark Flemons, both of which were 16. Um, Jane, Ruth, and Daniel were all scheduled to work the night shift um, on November 17th, 1978, whereas Mark Flemons picked up the shift um, just by accident. Well, not by accident, but um, because it was made available, there was someone that called off and he picked it up for that employee. And it is believed that Mark Flemons was actually just a victim of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, where we left off last week was that police were theorizing that the targets were the three that were actually working that night. And Mark was just a victim of circumstance. Um, the restaurant was ransacked. However, there was not even $600 that was stolen. A pretty, pretty small amount of money to, to murder four people for. Um, and also both Jane and Ruth's purse with their jewelry and their, their wallets were left behind at the restaurant. Uh, the four victims were found in the woods uh, shortly after the murder occurred. Um, two had been shot in the head, like execution style, side by side on the ground, whereas Jane and Mark had ran. Um, so it appears as if maybe they were all lined up at some point to be executed. But once the first two were murdered, um, the other two fled and Jane was stabbed. Um, so different, different type of weapon. So they believe she was chased down. The fact that she was stabbed, not shot, led investigators to believe possibly more than one person was involved in this. Um, different modus of operandi. And then um, Mark was bashed in the head. Um, so he died of blunt force trauma to the head. Um, the investigation was a shit show. Um, the There were no photos taken of the crime scene. The crime scene was not taped off. People walked all over it, uh, both at the restaurant and in the woods at the murder site. Um, they did not take fingerprints. They did not really collect much evidence other than the um, employee's personal belongings. And the day after the murder, uh, the employees for the morning shift showed up, cleaned everything, opened up the restaurant, brought in customers, business as usual. Which I can't imagine, honestly. Like, let's say you're another 17-year-old. You know that your coworkers were all missing last night. You don't know they're dead yet, but they're all gone. And you're just going to, like, continue on? Well, your friend was probably kidnapped last night, even though investigators at the time were saying that they stole the money to go out drinking for a fun night out, which... Right, I that's a big thing for me, where I'm like, why on earth would you ever assume something like that especially when it's like you if because when they talked to like the manager they were like no this the the people who were on duty or the person who was running the show that night uh was a very responsible person yep. it's like um that's why i trusted them to run the night shift exactly jane was like I mean, they were all honor students. Every single yeah. one of them made great grades. 
Um, they were able to balance work, life, school. Jane was, you know, she climbed her way up. She started as an hourly worker. Now she's assistant manager at the age of 20. Um, yeah, to your point, they were all remarkable kids. So they would not steal $500, risk everything, risk their school scholarships that they were all lined up to get just to go out and have some beers. Right. And also, um, I think that the the ladies would have brought their purses with them because oh, how the, are you going? Also, um, it was November and their coats were left behind, too. Yeah. I mean, unless suddenly everybody had a fever, you know, <laughs> I imagine November in Indiana, you're going to want your coat. Yep, uh, you sure do. That's where I grew up. Um, kind of. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's also suspicious and they should not have just cast that aside. Um, it really sounded like whoever was on duty that night, as far as like the in, like law enforcement, just really didn't want to do their jobs and were really just hoping that things would work out for the best. Right. And then they wouldn't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, I'm sorry if you are. Uh, working for a police department you might have to do some investigating sometimes like that's kind of your job and just a little bit of your job is trying to find missing people because that's another thing you pointed out last episode was like so what if these four kids stole money to go out drinking you know find them and deal with them but you still need to find them yeah it's like it doesn't matter why they're gone you need to find them (laughs) And that's why, like, especially in the 60s and 70s, it seemed like there was such an epidemic of let's wait and see when it came to especially missing people. And then, of course, today it's common knowledge. It's like the first 48 hours are the most important when it comes to a missing person. Right, exactly. Because the chances of you finding them if you wait go down dramatically. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, they sure do. And then, like, if... it Unfortunately, we have to assume the worst just in case the worst did happen because if someone was, like, kidnapped, then the more time you wait, the more time they have to get further away or to do something more awful, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So with that being said, uh, we can now jump into where we left off of from last week. And on Saturday, uh, November 18th of the same year, a 16-year-old uh, person called the Speedway police and told them that he had seen two men lurking around the Burger Chef restaurant shortly before closing the night before. So this was the first real lead that investigators had after they had found uh, the victims' bodies out in the woods. According to the young man, the men, who were both white and presumably in their 30s, approached him and his girlfriend as they were sitting in the parking lot of the Dunkin' Donuts next door to the Burger Chef. They told them to get out of there because, and quote, There had been lots of vandalism going on. It's like, wow, thank you for being so concerned, I guess. Yeah. Kind of a weird thing to say. Right. But I mean, was were the men just telling them these teenagers? 
to get out of there because vandalism because they were about to steal the people from Burger Chef. Um, he said that one of the men had a beard and the other one was blonde and clean shaven. He said that the bearded man was the one doing the talking and that he had a handkerchief over his mouth while he spoke. Based and on that is really suspicious. It is. It's like he's definitely trying to hide his face. Um, or he has a really bad cold and he's being careful. <laughs> Based on the composite sketches created from the descriptions, police did something unusual. They commissioned a forensic artist to carve a full-sized clay bust of the suspects. Um, and apparently you can still find these if you do a Google search. Now, normally when I hear of like busts being carved, it's usually for a deceased person who has decomposed. Um, I mean, the first thing that I think of is like for the state fair, when they carve a bust out of butter, like of like the, uh, the butter queen. Yeah. (laughs) For those that are not in Minnesota and especially for those not in the country of the United States, Google Minnesota butter queen. It's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) so after the murders uh, understandably Indianapolis was shooketh one resident who spoke to a newspaper shortly after the crime said quote I wouldn't be surprised if people start moving out of Speedway if people don't stop getting killed here people just don't want to come into this area if you remember uh, in the months leading up to Burger Chef murders there was a mysterious anonymous um case of bombings being placed both in public places and on private properties uh and some people were seriously critically wounded from these bombs yeah that is again and this is such a weird period of time where i feel like the 70s where it was like the bomb like bombs were the the popular like weapon yeah it was an odd time and 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 they're very inefficient because i think they're more likely to maybe just wound um or not go off yeah you know this is uh i mean i think about this time the period and this is also um there's a lot of unrest in places like northern ireland where the ira was uh planting bombs and and you know, the causing chaos, the very popular method of disrupting society at the time. Yeah, when I think about how the fact, like so many, like it's rare when it's fatal. It's almost as if the bombers got some sort of joy just out of inflicting pain and fear rather than actual murder. Mm-hmm. Another local of Speedway, uh, said that the police's inability to solve those other crimes from the early year offered little comfort that they would be able to crack the Burger Chef case. Quote, they didn't solve the bombings, they won't solve this one either. And little did that person know how true those words were. Police desperately appealed to the public for any tips or information related to the case, and they followed any lead no matter how unlikely. According to a November 21st, 1978 newspaper article from the Kokomo Tribune, the Speedway investigators met with detectives from Oklahoma to see if there was any connection to an unsolved massacre of six people 
at an Oklahoma City steakhouse earlier that year in July, which I had never heard of this. Um, hmm. Apparently that case, uh, there was nothing of substance that could be related to the Burger Chef murders. Like the only thing that was that was in common was like, oh, it's a restaurant and everybody died. Yeah, pretty much. But I mean, it was a good I mean, honestly, it's not that bad because people are bad of an idea. I mean, um, because people do have certain patterns they follow. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, especially if it's like, oh, their their idea is like, oh, we'll just go from state to state and we'll find a vulnerable restaurant where there aren't that many people working right. and and we'll just uh rob them and then to make sure we get a clean getaway we'll kill all the witnesses yeah i mean it does, it's not that far-fetched yeah that's yeah not the not the craziest thing we've heard on this podcast no not at all so to help compel witnesses to come forward the Burger Chef Systems Company posted a $25,000 cash reward for any information leading to an arrest. Another anonymous person donated $10,000 to this reward. Steak and Shake, um, a beloved chain in the Midwest, added several thousands to the reward as well, but no one with reliable information came forward, which I think is pretty remarkable because these days people will come forward with so much false information just for that cash. Mm -hmm. Police did get a few hits from those initial composite drawings, though. Reportedly, a man resembled one of the sketches was overheard in a Greenwood bar just south of Indianapolis bragging about committing the murders. No way. That's, that's crazy. And also, like, why would you ever brag to anybody people are, people are dumb that's yeah. why <laughs> someone contacted the police and detective virgil vandegriff went to the bar undercover to observe the man he ended up shooting pool with the man and just like the witness had said he was bragging loudly about robbing and killing the burger chef workers According to Vandegriff, the man even snapped his pool cue over his knee to illustrate how he snuffed out one of the young lives that cold November night. What a, this is something that, like, this is like a, a movie character. <laughs> right. Like, this, it just doesn't seem like a normal human being. No, I completely agree. It's like, oh, I think a bad guy would be right like he is straight out of an out of a book <laughs> police arrested the man soon after and brought him in for questioning but the man denied all involvement once he was in custody investigators and oh yeah when faced with actual consequences he's like oh no i was just talking shit right exactly he was administered a polygraph test, which we all know how we feel about polygraph tests. Super unreliable. Yep. And he allegedly passed it. At that time, though, polygraphs were seen as conclusive evidence and not just trash. So police let him go. Before he left, though, he allegedly gave police the names of a few men involved in a, quote, fast food robbery gang. So there goes your theory, Chris. 
Based on the information, police located a bearded suspect in the nearby town of Franklin. He had a likeness to the composite drawing and didn't have an alibi for the night of the murders. Even more, his neighbor was a clean-shaven man with fair hair and a dead ringer for the second composite sketch. Police asked the bearded man to come in for a lineup, but when he showed up, he had shaved his beard for the first time in five years. Oh, what a jerk. They tried to offer both suspect plea deals, but they refused to talk. With no hard evidence, just the same look as a composite sketch, police had to let them go. That really bothers me that he that he shaved his beard like just before. And also like why didn't they be like, hey, by the way, don't change anything about your appearance. Um, otherwise it's gonna look really suspicious if you do. Exactly. This is why they should just take photos of people rather yeah. than ask them to come to the station. That's true too. Like, come on, Polaroid was a thing. Like, you could have just snapped one right there. It was in its heyday. Everyone had a Polaroid. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so angry, knowing that it's like, okay, these people who, I mean, who are, all, like, acting suspicious, like, otherwise, why else would he have shaved his beard? Um, Why they couldn't get something more on them. I mean, he, you'd think that there would be some sort of forensics you could do or like find out if they owned a weapon or I don't know. Like I, I feel like there would have been something that they could have been able to trace back to them. Well, maybe if they had actually taken fingerprints, taken photos at the crime scene, didn't walk all over the woods where the bodies were found, maybe they would have something. Right. And it makes me wonder, because I would assume, I would hope that they would do at least the basic uh, police work of establishing an alibi. Be like, okay, walk me through your chain of events the night that the murders happened. Like, tell me where you were and who can corroborate your story and... If that doesn't add up, well, then we have some more questions for you. Exactly. It, yeah, you're very right. So when that fell flat, there was a theory that is pretty intriguing, to be honest, and that this was all centered around the belief that one or more of the employees may have been dealing drugs. Hmm. In March 1981, so three years later, Jane Freed's brother, James, was arrested on cocaine charges. And for a brief moment, police thought he might have been the reason, directly or indirectly, behind the violent night of 1978. Within six days, though, police had to let him go due to lack of evidence. The drug theory was further corroborated a few years later when police scored their most promising suspect yet. And no, if, as if the guy that shaved his beard was not. Like, come on. In November of 1984, exactly six years later, the Burger Chef murders... Let me rephrase that. In November of 1984, exactly six years after the Burger Chef murders, 
Speedway investigators received a call from Pendleton Correctional Facility. Donald Wayne Forster, a 34-year-old sex offender beginning a 95-year sentence for rape. Um, Oof. Yes. That's a long time. I don't think he's going to see the end of that sentence. I don't think so. Not at the age of 34. He said he had some information, and not just a tip. He wanted to confess to the Burger Chef murders. Police went into the talk with Forrester with a healthy dose of skepticism. Forrester was about to be transferred to the Indiana State Prison, or from the... Wait, what did I write to you? Take two. You said Pendleton was where he was? Oh, yes. He was about to be transferred to the Indiana State Prison. Um, which, as a sex offender, was almost certainly going to be a very hard time for him because, as we know, sex offenders are not treated well in prison for just reasons, I I think. Mm -hmm. Detectives assumed he wanted to parlay some bogus information about the Burger Chef case into a possible prison transfer to keep him out of having to go up to Michigan City. They were right because that's exactly what he wanted. Except the more they talked to him, the more they began to realize that his story might not be as bogus as they thought. On November 17th of 1978, Donald Forrester was living in Speedway, but he had grown up near the area where the four bodies were discovered. For detectives who've been grasping at straws for six years, this was compelling enough to bring Forrester to Marion County for direct questioning. Once there, Forrester claimed to be the one who executed Daniel Davis and Ruth Shelton with a 38. Even more compelling, detectives drove Forrester to the field where the bodies had been found, and he was able to pinpoint exactly where each body had been originally located, even those that had ran. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, because this is this is how you find out for sure. It's like, okay, what information is not available to the public? And if they can, you know, like if they know exactly where the bodies were and that they know like the caliber of weapon that was used, uh, like when he starts filling in those blanks, that's pretty convincing. Mm -hmm, I agree. Between 1984 and 1986, Forrester gradually opened up to the investigators with even more information. He told them that right after the murders, he and his wife drove out to the field so he could pick up the spent 38 shell casings. Once he found them, they drove home and he flushed them down the toilet. That's really dumb. (laughs) Well, it's dumb, but his ex-wife confirmed the story as true. Wow. Which, and it's like, shame it's on a... her, first of all. Yeah. For going with him to where four young people lay and he's taking gun casings. Ugh, frustrating. Police got a warrant to search the septic tank of that old home address, and they dug through eight years of raw sewage and found several 38 shell casings. Oh, man. I mean, one, disgusting. But uh-huh. two, also amazing that they're still they're still there. I mean, I imagine that those 
are not going anywhere. Right. And like, why else would you flush shell casings down a toilet? Unless you want them to never be found. Yeah. Because no one's going to want to willingly dig through years and years of crap. <laughs> to I don't it. think so. Um, unless you're like a dog because dogs do disgusting things <laughs> but i love them anyways so forrester after uh the finding of these casings he offered up a version of events of what happened on the night of november 17th 1978 he says that james freet uh jane's brother was indeed in bad with some drug dealers back at that time as well he said that James owed money to the wrong people. So that Friday night, a group of drug dealers, including Forrester, went to Burger Chef to put pressure on Jane. When they showed up and began threatening to hurt her if her brother didn't come with the cash, 16-year-old Mark Flemons tried to defend her. Mark's bravery started a fight, and during that uh, scuffle, Mark fell and hit his head. The blow knocked him unconscious, and in a moment of panic, the perpetrators believed he was dead. Thinking they were about to go down for the murder, the drug dealers decided then and there to eliminate the witnesses to the crime. They put all four employees into Jane's car and drove to the middle of town, where they then dumped her car and hopped into their own getaway. Forrester told police they drove the young employees to the woods and executed all of them, and he described how each one died in detail. This confession was very damning. Police were sure that they had their man. Forrester even offered three other names of men involved. But tragically, in November of 1986, someone in the department leaked information about Forrester to the press. Forrester uh, then clammed up immediately and recanted his statements. Without no! cooperation, they weren't able to locate any more physical evidence to make a case against him or his accomplices. Uh, I hate that whoever leaked that information to the press so angry with them because all of this seems to be making so much sense. And now... You can never, you know, you can never, because, I mean, what, was, did you say his name was Forrester? Yeah. Uh, if word got out that not only is he uh, a rapist, but also a snitch, oh, he is done for. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, he is not, com he will never serve that 95 years because he won't live that long. Yeah. Um. And to put like your only lead in that big of jeopardy and to the point where he basically has to, you know, take it all back, mm -hmm. even though, yeah, I mean, the, the fact that the shell casings matched and that they were exactly where he, he said that they were and that his, his ex-wife even corroborated that story he's he knows exactly where like what happened with each individual the story really is very compelling and... oh it is like before i read about him like i was convinced it was 
the man that shaved his beard, which, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the man shaved his beard because he he was innocent and was legitimately scared that he would get pinned for it. Right. I mean, that is fair. And I'll, I'll, and also, I would hope that the reason why he could not be really considered as a suspect was because there wasn't any strong evidence pointing to him that he was just a guy who was the guy who had a beard in the wrong place neighbor happened to be a pale white guy with fair hair i mean which that is also half of the midwest yeah right (laughs) but yeah Mm. yeah it's very frustrating that forrester's name was leaked and he recanted Mm. everything and the the way that that the victims were were killed like the execution style that really seems to fit with like a like a like a cartel right like yeah it it makes me it makes me think of like a like a gang trying to get rid of somebody right um it yeah And and it it just is like oh man all these things are really lining up and then now we're back at square one because Someone opened their big mouth to the press. Right. And unfortunately, we're not even at square one. We're at like square zero. Because in 2006, while serving his time, Forrester died of cancer. And whatever information he knew went away with him. Police still get tips about the Burger Chef murder to this day. And investigators have come and gone. Retired detectives still leaf through their 20... Um, three-inch binders of handwritten and typed notes on the case file. Every few years, a new investigator is assigned to the case in the hopes that fresh eyes will yield new developments. Most recently, First Sergeant Bill Dalton was promoted to Indianapolis District Police Investigators, um, along with a slew of every other very important duties like overseeing operations and reviewing case reports. He is in charge of keeping up with cold cases. In 2008, Sergeant Dalton announced that they were looking into using new forensic technology to test evidence in the Burger Chef murder case. The announcement came on the heels of a public plea by Ruth Shelton's sister, Teresa Jeffries, for anyone with information about the case to come forward. She was quoted as saying, We don't have all the answers, and there's someone out there that does. I hope that before my time on Earth is gone, I will have those answers too. Sergeant Dalton even released evidence that he hadn't been wildly or had not been wildly publicized before. A picture of the broken uh bladge, or sorry, a picture of a broken blade lodged in Jane Freak's chest the night that she died. Police hope that the release of this image might jog the memory of someone related to one of the perpetrators and they would recognize that blade. However, no one came forward. Hmm. It's the most so hard agon- that to like so much time has gone by. I mean, and like one of our lead suspects here has died in prison. You know, think of how many other of his contemporaries. It's are been also 45 gone. years. God, I mean, and if I mean, you'd have to hope for a pretty young uh, perpetrator for them to still be around. And, you know, and if it was someone who was involved with 
drugs or gangs. It's like, imagine the lifespan might be a little shorter for some of those people. Yeah. If you're living, if you're living a hard life, you know, whether, you know, if you're, you know, they could have died of a drug overdose. They could have been killed by a rival gang or they could have uh, been killed by police or they could have been high and just had an accident. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, so many, many possibilities. So many possibilities. Um, but yeah, the most agonizing part for the families, the victims, is the lack of closure. Mm-hmm. Um, given the botched initial investigation and the lack of evidence collected from the crime scenes, it seems that this case might remain forever unresolved, um, which is really unfortunate. Added to your point just now that unless these were young murderers, um, like let's say one of the murderers was 20 years old, they mm-hmm. would be 65 today. Let's say one of them was 45. They're likely not here. Mm. Um, but yeah, that um, that is the unsolved Burger Chef murders. Um, I would just like to set my source real quick because I forgot to do it um, in the previous episode. All my information um, came from multiple sources. My main uh, source would be unresolved um researched and written by maggie coomer um and then also the podcast um cold cases uh, i covered it um and then also various other podcasts that i just i remember tidbits of information because i've heard about this case a couple of times mm-hmm. um i it always resurfaces every now and then just as most cold cases do because there are no answers and people want answers. So it keeps getting brought to the spotlight. Um, so yeah, that is the Burger Chef murders. Um, while, while writing and researching this, this case, I just thought about, as I mentioned last, last week, when mentioning how like some friends would stop by, you know, to hang out with their friends that were working the shift. Um, I mentioned like, I did that too, when I worked at the truck stop in rural Illinois, you know, because we were all friends. We were all young. We were all, it was, we always, it wasn't as poorly managed as 1978. Uh, we did always have like an actual legal adult, right? Um, with us when we were working a clothing shift. But yeah, that could, like, that could have been me back in that time. And it also, mm-hmm. like, it reminds me of the yogurt shop murders too. Just, three young girls working at the yogurt shop during a closing shift brutally murdered (laughs) um people take advantage of the um what's the word i'm trying to think of um how vulnerable young people are it's not the word Mm -hmm. i'm trying to think of but young people are much more vulnerable than adults they're more naive that's the word i was looking for they're much more naive much more willing to be compliant much more willing to trust that nothing bad's going to happen and but yeah it's it's sad it's really sad that i posted the photos of the four victims on our on our instagram and our facebook so if anyone wants to go look at them like they're just they're just kids which is really messed up that someone did this to four kids. Right. And also like the over money, like. Yeah. Over drug money. And like, 
one, screw these people that came. If if the if Forrester's story is correct, which I do believe it is, screw these people that came and assaulted Jane for her brother. Like, right. I get what it, they're trying to do, right? Maybe use her as a pawn so he would be scared. He wants to protect his little sister, right? I get right. that. And but that's messed that, up. That definitely seems like a. That seems like a gang or like it's it's very like mafia style pressure where it's like oh it'd be a shame if something had like it's one thing for you to be involved in whatever this whether it's drugs or whatever um but like your family didn't sign up for this and you wouldn't want to put them in danger would you and it's unfortunately it's a very effective tool to uh you know lean on these people no it really is it's it makes sense why they would do it but mm-hmm. that's so messed up mm-hmm. oh well i just really hope that someday somebody comes forward with the right piece of evidence it's like the story just needs to get in the right ears someone with a a a shred of conscience maybe needs to come forward if they if they know or if they'd heard the story from somebody or or they participated it's like it's been 45 years it's time to come clean yeah even if the person's gone just like let people know yeah Right. If that's your brother or your sister, because who knows, it might not have been all men. Like, you know, if that's because we don't know who the names were that Forrester released because they were never made public. And then because he recanted, they will never be made public. But yeah, Uh, there there you have it. There we go. It's a tough case, but also those unsolved ones are super compelling. Um, Thank you for finally uh bringing that one to a conclusion for us that was a really interesting case so i'm gonna have my work cut out for me to (laughs) keep the momentum going next time of course well thank you for listening and for all of our listeners thank you for listening and until next time bye. bye